0: Well, good morning, everybody. How are you? Good to see you. I'm glad you're here. How are you? Is everybody good? Come on, let me hear somebody other than Paul. Come on. Okay, okay, okay. We'll have to get you guys uh, into this thing. Okay, everybody repeat after me. Um, My life was messed up, but it's going to be blessed up. Okay, because, listen, that's that's the story of Joseph. Joseph, the, the story was so messed up, but as we've been moving through this story, what we're learning is that God takes all that stuff that's messed up and somehow he spins it around and he uses it, orchestrates it to bless us. And, and, and he ends up blessed and, and so he goes from messed up to blessed up. And I'm just so excited uh, about Joseph and the lessons that we're learning. And I'm glad you've been here. I, like Dave, would encourage you that if you've missed any of these messages to go back and, and listen. They kind of all build on one another. Uh, it's a fantastic story. And I hope you'll pick up on the rest if you missed them. I want to begin today by having you think about something for a moment. Have you ever been in a situation where you were in a perfect opportunity to retaliate, to get back, to, to get even, to kick somebody in the pit, but you didn't do it? Have you ever been there? Oh, yeah. I think probably a lot of us have. And human nature, yeah, there's something within us that, you know, oh, you want to do it so bad. You want to do it so bad, you, just, you know it would feel so good if I could just kick them in the pit, give them what they deserve, and let them get what's coming to them. But we've learned that that's not the best way to deal with it. Joseph is teaching us that. Joseph in the pit has been learning. He's been leaning on God, and God has been teaching him. He's been molding him. He's been shaping him, and he moved him to a place of unbelievable position and power, and it's because he leaned into God. Now, some of you maybe have not been here in this series, and for those of you who've been here for the whole thing, you've heard the story of Joseph now many times, and you, you probably could stand up here and tell it as well or better than I could, but let me just take a moment and review what where we've come from. Now Joseph, you remember, was the youngest of eleven brothers, and he was the favorite son of his father Jacob because he was born to Jacob's favorite wife Rachel. In his old age, and one day uh, uh, he gave him this robe. He he wanted to show his favoritism, and he gave him this beautifully ornamented robe and then he sent him to the brothers and the brothers saw him coming and the Bible says that they hated him. They could not speak a kind word to him. They hated him. And so they were going to kill him. But cooler heads prevailed and they, instead of killing him, they pushed him into the pit, the cistern, and they waited until a traveling band of merchants on their way down to Egypt came through and they sold him into slavery into Egypt. And so, Joseph now finds himself in the country of Egypt, strange place, strange place, everything's so foreign to him, and he's there on the auction block to be put up as a slave. And so, Potiphar spots him, he buys him, and he notices that everything Joseph does turns to gold. Everything he touches is successful. And so, he's growing in position and power. And then one day, uh, Potiphar's wife Potiphar, okay, that's my nickname for it. That's not her real name, but that's my name's, Potiphar. She notices him, and she attempts to get him to come to bed with her. Day after day, he, she tried to do this, and he wouldn't do it. And so, one day, you know, she just grabbed him, and he left her with his coat in her arms, and he ran out the door. But she screams rape, and she falsely accuses him. And so, Potiphar believes the lies and kicks him into prison. So his pit number two. Goes from one pit to another. The Hebrew word for prison is pit. And now he's in the pit, and he's joined uh, eventually by two people, the cupbearer and the, the wine uh, taster. Okay. I know that's the same guy, the cupbearer and the baker. They'll okay, get the baker and the guy. I'll get it straight in a moment. And, and so he's joined by them. And, and, uh, now two years go by and, uh, he interprets dreams for them. And, uh, he says to the cupbearer, he says, now, listen, when you get out, put a good word in, in for me because I don't belong here. And so two years and, 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 uh, he's forgotten. He, he forgets him, doesn't remember him. Until one day, when uh, the, the king has a dream and it can't be interpreted, and so the cupbearer, are, so I remember a guy named Joseph, he's in prison and he can interpret dreams. And so he goes and gets him and he brings him back to interpret the dream. And so he interprets it and he says there's going to be seven years of abundance and there's going to be seven years of, of uh, famine. And so I need, and so that's the dream. And so Pharaoh said, well, I need somebody who can, you know, be wise and discerning and know how to figure this stuff out and deal with this. So he put Joseph in that position. And so now everybody uh, around, all the countries around have to come to Egypt in order to get food, in order to survive. And so it's just a matter of time before Joseph's brothers are going to appear before him. And so last week, we kind of left it there, and it says that they came before him, and Joseph did the big reveal, okay? I Can you imagine? He removed his headdress and, and, and whatever else that maybe would have disguised him. And, and he, he re- revealed himself, and I'll bet they peed their tun- tunics. I bet they wet their pants. And it, it, because it says, I mean, seriously, it, it says that his brothers, they were not able to answer him. Because what Joseph says, he says, come close, because I am Joseph, your brother, the one you sold into Egypt. Go read it. I'm, I'm your brother, the one you sold. And just in case you forgot me, I'm the one you sold into Egypt. And so you come to verse 3 in chapter 45, his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified. They were terrified at his presence. I bet that, I'll bet their knees were knocking together. I mean, I, I, I bet they were so nervous. I, I, my knees have only knocked together once in my entire life. I've been so scared that my knees literally were hitting together. You know when it was? It's on my wedding day. Absolutely, You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, seriously, my knees were bumping against each other. I, I can't even make them do what they were doing on that day. Almost 40 years ago now. But when my wife walked down the aisle and she stood beside me, everything was peaceful and I was calm and I was, I was good to go. But these guys, were, they were speechless. They did not know what to say. And then this next verse, it is so interesting because what it does, it reveals the character of Joseph... It reveals the heart of Joseph, but it also reveals something else. It reveals the theology of Joseph. It reveals what he believes about God. And this is very important because whenever you're in a pit, we're going to come back around to this in a a, a few moments, but whenever you're in the pit, what you believe about God is so important. It's so important. So this is what he believed about God. It's in uh, Genesis 45, verse 5. He says to them, do not be distressed. And do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. That tells what he believes about God. Don't be angry with yourselves. Don't be afraid because it was to save lives that God sent me here. Wow, that reveals a lot about Joseph. Now, how could he believe that? How could, he, how could he have that perspective? I'll tell you why. Because Joseph understood that this pit moment, although it was a series of years, it was but a snapshot in the wide-angle lens of the providence of God. It was merely a moment in time in the grander, bigger picture of God. And you see, you and I have to see our pitiful moments like that it's a part of the picture now let me ask you a question was was that an opportunity seized or was that an opportunity lost it all depends on who you are if you're a pit pusher if you're bent on getting even when people hurt you it was an opportunity lost what a great opportunity To give them what they deserved. If if you are a grace giver, then it was an opportunity seized. If you're a grace giver, if you're a person who even when you're in the pit, you are fully aware that God is there with you. And you're leaning into God. You're still trusting God. You're still believing God. You're still believing that God is working in the big picture. If you're that kind of person, then it was an opportunity seized. You see, and and you have to make the choice. Are you going to be a pit pusher and capitalize upon every opportunity to get even with people, or are you going to be a grace giver and capitalize upon every opportunity to give grace when you're hurt? And believe me, you're going to get a lot of opportunities to do that. Turn to somebody and say, you're going to get a lot of opportunities. You will. And, and so that's why you and I in, you, you and I have to learn to embrace grace so that we can, when the time comes, dispense grace. Let me say that again. You've got to learn to embrace the grace that God has given to you so that when you get kicked into a pit, you'll be able to dispense the grace that you need to give to someone else. I'll come across people and they, they cannot forgive. They're bent on revenge. And they had this attitude of, well, you know, you got what was coming to you and you deserved it. And I hope you get more of it and all of that. And, and, and they, there's no sense of grace coming from that person, there's no sense of, you know, of, of, of understanding or care. It, it's all venom, it's all poison. And, and these are typically people, they, they, in my estimation, in my humble opinion, it's, it's people who have not been able to or haven't embraced the grace that God has so freely given to them when they screwed up. And so they can't give it to anybody else. And so if you're going to be a dispenser of grace, you have to be a receiver of grace. And that's difficult for some people. Let's talk about betrayal and let's talk about relationships for just a moment. Just because you've been betrayed doesn't mean the relationship has to come to an end. Would you agree with me? It doesn't mean the relationship has to come to an end. Now, sometimes it does and sometimes it probably should, but it doesn't mean it always has to. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 12, verse 18. I want you to read this with me. Find it. You ready? Let's read it. Here we go. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, which I'm so glad that's there, because it's not possible with some people. How many of you are sitting next to that person right now? Okay, no, none of that. So if it's possible, live at peace with everyone. Now, the reason this is important is because there are two sides to betrayal. There's the, kind of the underbelly of betrayal, and then there's the upside. There's the ugly side, and there's the beautiful side. The ugly side of betrayal is bitterness. That's the ugly side of betrayal. When somebody's been betrayed and, 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 uh, and they become bitter, when our trust is broken, when your character's been assassinated, when somebody's been disloyal to you, when somebody's kicked you uh, under the bus, when somebody's stabbed you in the back. And, and, and so now everything about you is about getting even. I'm going to make them pay if it's the last thing I do. I'm going to make them pay. And your whole life is bent on getting even with that person and making sure life is miserable for them. That's the ugly side of betrayal, it's bitterness. The beautiful side of betrayal is forgiveness. That's the beautiful side of betrayal. And that's what you see happening in this story. That's the beautiful side. When you you see somebody forgive. I can only imagine that these brothers, as they're standing there before Joseph, and they're scared to death, they're speechless. I can only imagine that they're thinking, he's going to wipe us out. When what Joseph was going to do was wipe the slate clean. Isn't that amazing? He's going to wipe it clean. I mean, after what they did to him, he was willing to forgive them and to wipe the slate clean. And you want to know why he was able to do that? And this is huge. And I encourage you to write this down and think about this. Joseph saw his brothers as God's children and payback as God's job. Think about that for just a moment. These brothers are standing right there before him, and he, with a wave of his hand, he could have had their heads taken off just like that. He had that much power. But he didn't see them as his brothers. He saw them as these are God's children. And if there's going to be any payback, well, that's God's job. I mean, you and I both know that payback feels good at first. At least we think it does but it doesn't really solve anything, does it? And so Joseph saw this so differently. And the Bible teaches us to see it the way he sees it. In Romans 12, 19, let's read this verse together. Dear friends, never take revenge. Okay, now that you're with me, let's read that again. Come on. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. You see, Joseph knew who wore the robe, Joseph knew who sat behind the, the judge's bench. Joseph knew who held the gavel in his hand as God. And God refuses to give that gavel to anyone else, including you and including me, even though at times we want to wrestle it out of his hand. And we want to pronounce the verdict. And we want to pronounce the sentence. And sometimes we get frustrated with God because we think he's way too slow. In fact, he's not doing anything about it. And sometimes he's way too easy, and he doesn't give them what they deserve, right? I mean, you ever feel that? I mean, come on. I mean, I, I do. I mean, in the smallest of things. It's kind of like, I was thinking about this earlier, and it's kind of like when you're driving down the highway, and you're, you know, you're, you're driving, you're five miles over the speed limit, which is per, per, perfectly permissible, right, officer? Good. <laughs> And somebody comes screaming by you, waving through traffic, driving 20 miles over the speed limit. And what do you say? What do you say? I hope there's a cop. I hope, I hope and pray, dear God, please let there be a policeman up there on Sunnyside Road where they always sit out and they help them see this person. Right? You want them to get what's coming to them, right? I mean, that's the way we are sometimes. We just want them to get what's, get what's coming to them. And, and, and so... Joseph recognized, it's not my job to do that. I I mean, that it's tough to believe this, but Joseph realized, it's not my matter to take into my hands, even though I was the one kicked into the pit. He's so much like Jesus in this perspective. Listen to 1 Peter 2.23. They called him every name in the book, and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things straight. You ever want to know how to respond to people when they want to, uh, defame you, when they want to assassinate your character, when you know somebody's talking about you that's not true, you want to know the best thing you can do, just let your life prove them wrong. And be quiet. Don't try to defend... I've always been amazed at how Jesus, he just he didn't defend himself. He didn't have to defend himself. And I, I love this about, about uh, Joseph, and I, lo- I love it about Jesus. Now, The reason this is so important, and I'm going to give you a series of blanks right here that I want you to really think about. This next one is refusing to get even sets my betrayer free. Whenever you refuse to get even with somebody to get you a pound of flesh, you are setting your betrayer free. When you choose to forgive, you're setting yourself free. That's so important to understand. Whenever, whenever you make the decision, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going to, to not get even, I, I'm, I'm not going to get payback, I'm going to let them go, and you're, you're setting your betrayer free, okay? And that's good, you let them go. But, but when you choose to forgive your betrayer, you're setting yourself free. Because you and I have a choice when it comes to being betrayed. You can live in the pit of bitterness or you can live in the palace of forgiveness. And which are you gonna live in? I see people living in the pit of bitterness, and, and their whole life is bent on getting even with the whole world and every, everybody who's ever done anything wrong with them, to them. And, and they're living in this pit of bitterness as opposed to the palace of forgiveness. You see, refusing to get even says, I won't hurt you back. Choosing to forgive says, And I'm not going to let what you did to me hurt me anymore either. That's the difference. When when you refuse to to get even, what you're saying is, I'm I'm not going to hurt you back. I'm I'm not going to get you back. But when you choose to forgive, what you're saying is, and I'm not going to let what you did hurt me any longer. Because you're forgiving. You see, failure to forgive can be fatal. It's deadly. We don't see it as such because we we think somehow or another, whenever we hold on to forgiveness and we choose not to give it, that somehow we're making the other person pay. When really what's happening is you're paying. Somebody said whenever we choose not to forgive, it's like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Isn't that stupid? I mean just picture that for a moment. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna drink this poison. And I'm going to watch you dry, die. <laughs> All the while, you're, you're dying. Unforgiveness, is, it's, 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 it's fatal. Unforgiveness can undermine your life. It's like a cancer. It can undermine you, and you don't even know it. i I've worked in ministry since I was 18 years old, and so I've seen a lot of people, and, and I've seen people who have forgiven people who've hurt them, and I've seen people not forgive people who have hurt them. And it's interesting to watch people, if you've worked with them long enough, how it begins to change. I have one person especially in mind, and this person, while relatively a nice person, she, she grew more, and her heart became harder and harder, it seemed, as she grew older. And, and with her, and, and, and again, you can make the, the correlation, but what happens is, is when you choose not to forgive, it's fatal, and it's undermining you, and what happens is, it's like this cancer that's eating you, and, and so you, your, your heart becomes hard, you, you get this cynical attitude, you, you have this sense of uh, suspicion about everyone, you don't trust people anymore, and you're certainly not going to love anybody again. You know, I'll never trust another pastor after what he did. I'll never trust another church after what they did. I'll never trust another woman after what she did, and I'll never trust another man after what he did. And, and I'll never trust anybody again. I'm just going to, you know, build my little wall around me, and, and I'm never going to trust anybody. And, and people don't even realize it, but it's undermining them, and It's fatal. It's, it's like eating life away from you. You see, forgiveness is a gift that God's given to us that it, it frees us to let the person go because you're the one that's really being set free. Job, Job 5.2 says, Resentment kills a fool. So what is forgiveness? Because I know, I know some of your stories. I know people sitting in this room right now. I know some of your stories, and I can understand why it would be so hard to forgive. And so I, I think we need to make sure we bring some clarity to what forgiveness is and what forgiveness is not. Without getting real technical about it, forgiveness is not endorsing the act. It's it's not endorsing what the person did. It's not in some weird kind of way saying, you know, it was no big deal. You know, it was a big deal. So it's not saying it wasn't a big deal or endorsing the act. Forgiveness is, is not excusing the behavior. It's not saying, oh, after all, boys will be boys. That's just what people do. It's, it's not excusing the behavior, nor is forgiveness embracing the relationship. Sometimes we think, well, if I forgive this person, that means I've got to reestablish the relationship. You know, if as much as possible, yeah, live at peace with everyone. If you can't, don't. You, and sometimes you can't. Sometimes it's not the wisest thing to do. So forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean embracing the relationship. Sometimes that relationship changes. So what is forgiveness? Well, without getting real technical, write this down. Forgiveness is choosing to see your offender with different eyes. It's choosing to see your offender with different eyes. Like Joseph. Joseph saw his brothers as God's children, not as his brothers. And and he determined if there's any justice that needs to be given out, any payback, that's God's job. It's not mine. And he saw them with different eyes. It's kind of like forgiveness is like rerouting your your anger and your resentment and your bitterness through heaven. You know, give it to God. Say, God, you know this hurts. You know this frustrates me. You know this angers me to no end. And you've got to surrender it to God. Reroute it through God, through heaven. Give it to him. Let him deal with it. Because you are not designed to be able to deal with that. Joseph's reconciliation eventually led to a reunion with his father. And this story is so beautiful because Joseph forgave his brothers. And the first thing he asked, him, is my father alive? Is my dad still alive? And they said, yeah. And so, you know, long story short, he sent them all back to, to Egypt to go and to get his father and all of his family and bring them back to Egypt. And they settled in the land of Goshen, one of the nicer areas in Egypt because they, were, um, they herded sheep. And that's, and, and that's where they kind of lived. And, and, so he, and he told them, he says, you know, don't worry about bringing your stuff because you're going to be well provided for. And so the whole family comes back. And the reason that was able to happen, the only reason that was able to happen was because Joseph was willing to forgive. And he recognized God in the whole situation. He recognized that. He saw that. When you get to Genesis chapter 45 and through the end of the chapter, through the end of the, the book of Genesis, when you get to chapter 50, three times you'll find two words that, that really help us to see why Joseph could do this. Because that's what he believed. In, in two words that changed everything. But God. Everybody say, but God. But God. <clears throat> but God. You see it in Genesis 45 verse 7 first. But God sent me ahead of you. Okay, that was Joseph's response. He says, you know, don't be angry. You know, it, it, God did this, but God sent me ahead of you. In Genesis 45, verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And then the third time you see it is actually several years later when Jacob had died. Jacob died, and he asked Joseph to make sure he was buried back in Canaan. So Joseph, now with his brothers, they take him back to Canaan, to bury him. And now they're on their way back to Egypt. And I can only imagine, on their way back to Egypt, they probably would have stopped overnight at, a, at a, probably a pretty you know, typical place to stop for those caravans going through there. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you anything, we don't know, but I'll bet you anything that one of the places they would have stopped would have been one of the places Joseph would have stopped when he was being carted behind a, a dragged behind a cart to, to go be sold into slavery. And I'll bet the brothers, this is probably really awkward for them right now because they're probably sitting around the campfire and, and they know that Joseph made this same route when he was being dragged off to Egypt and, and, and he's probably sitting there thinking about that because here he is again in the same spot. He's reflecting back about, you know, I can't believe my brothers did this and I've been stepping over camel poop and, and I'm gonna be going to be going into Egypt and being, being a slave and all this stuff. And this had to be really awkward for them. And I'll bet they were afraid. i bet they were almost, I, I know they were afraid. In fact, go to Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, 20. Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. They're still scared. They're still afraid. He says, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. Here it is. But God. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done in the saving of many lives. They were still feeling the guilt of what they did 20-some years ago. And you know what I think they're thinking? I think they're thinking, this is too good to be true. Now that dad is dead, the other shoe is going to drop. Now that he's out of the picture, this was all a big sham. This is all a big facade. And now Joseph is going to get what we deserve, he's going to give us what we deserve. And he says, Don't be afraid. It wasn't you. Let me remind you. It wasn't you, but God sent me ahead of you. You know why I think they're having a hard time dealing with this? This is what I think. I think it's because grace is too good to be true. Grace is too good to be true. It's just too good to be true that Joseph doesn't want to get even with us. It's just too good to be true that he's not going to make us slaves. It's just too good to be true that he's not going to throw us in a pit and do something mean to us. It's just too good to be true. And that's the same way you and I relate to God, isn't it? When, when God wants to extend grace to you, when God wants to forgive you because you've messed up, because you've screwed up and you did something that you've convinced yourself, there's no way God could forgive me. And so you, you're guilty. You feel ashamed. You're trying to work your way back to God and trying to prove God. But you know in the, in the heart of hearts, it's just a matter of time before the other shoe is going to fall and God's going to give me what's coming to me. Why? It's because grace is too good to be true. And we can't believe somebody would be that forgiving to us. You see, this is more than just a story about Joseph forgiving his brothers. This is a story about God forgiving you and me. This this whole story points to to Jesus. But God, that's what you and I have to understand. You've, You've been kicked into a pit of betrayal. But God, you've been kicked into a pit of an untimely death. Of, of a loved one. But God, you've been kicked into a, a, a pit of, of somebody else's poor decision. But God, but God, but God, but God's still in control. But God still loves me. God still sees. God still cares. You have to believe that. You have to believe that. You see, Joseph, Joseph could have easily played the crazy, whacked-out family card. Couldn't he? Joseph could have easily played the I'm a victim card and blame everybody else for his situation. He never did. He played, one, he played the trump card, okay? And that's not the, meant, meant to be a political statement, okay? <laughs> he, he, played, <laughs> he, played the, he played the trump card. You know what the trump card was? But God. The but God card. That's the card he played. He, he is because I could get even with you, but God. I could make you slaves, but God. I could kill you. But God sent me ahead of you. See, so I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what pit you've been kicked into. I do know this. But God. But God can use it for your good. You come, you come to this Palestine. This is such a moving scene in Genesis chapter 45. Verse 14, then Joseph, he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and he wept and Benjamin embraced him, weeping. They were weeping so loudly that they could hear it outside of the palace. I mean, they they were sobbing. I mean, you can imagine this. This is over two decades later and they're weeping. And then I love this next phrase, and Joseph kissed his brothers. He kissed them. The last time there was any kissing going on between these brothers was when the brothers were going, see you later, have a nice life in Egypt. That's the last time. This is the kiss of sweet forgiveness. I forgive you. And he kisses them after what they did to him. Wow, I mean, the lessons that that we get from this is just huge about, about living life. And so we're going to close out this story. And we've been talking about, you know, we call this thing messed up the, the story of Joseph. He really has gone from messed up to blessed up. God has, has so blessed him. Why? Because Joseph, he learned some really valuable lessons. And, and he changed in phenomenal ways from what he was like when he was 17. He's a different person now that he's 39 years old. Different person. And I hope you'll go back and read this story. And I would encourage you to to pull out lessons that God wants to teach you. But let me remind you of three as we wrap this thing up. Here's number one. God is aware, and he does care. God is aware, and he does care. Sometimes, guys, you know that sometimes the pits of life can be so deep they can be so deep and they can be so dark that you're thinking there is no way that God can see me down here. There's no way God knows where I am. I mean this is so dark and this is so deep, this is so low, this is so bad that God can never spot me. He doesn't see me and he doesn't care. And and what you and I have to understand when we're in the pit, you have to remember you also have an enemy. You have an enemy that wants to convince you of everything that God does not see you. God does not care about you. Because if he did, he wouldn't let you be here in the first place. And if he could do something about it, then he would have already done something. So not only does he not care, he's impotent, and he can't do anything about it. And so you wallow in your pit, and and, and you grow in your bitterness and your anger. That's exactly what your enemy wants for you. It's exactly what he wants for you. Jesus came to give life and give it more abundantly. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he'll steal it while you're in the pit. And and, and somewhere along the line, you know, we've gotten this notion that if I choose to follow God, then I'm going to live a pit-free life. No, you're not. There's no such thing as a pit-free life. You're either pre-pit, in the pit, or post-pit. There's no such thing as a pit-free life because pit happens okay? It does. It just does. Just because you follow God doesn't mean you're going to have a problem for your life. You're not. In fact, not only are you not going to have a problem for your life, God will allow the problems to come so that he can change you, to mold you, to shape you, to prepare you for what he's prepared for you. And and so don't, don't let the enemy convince you that God doesn't care just because you're in a pit. No, he cares for you as much as he's ever cared for you, more than you'll ever realize. Okay, the reason, the reason you know, we hurt here on this earth is because we're not at home here. We're pilgrims and we're passing through. And from here to there, there's a lot of pits. And somehow God uses them miraculously to to change you and develop you and prepare you for, bless you, and prepare you for... What he has prepared for you. Here's here's lesson number two. God has given each of us the freedom of choice. When you're in the pit, you have got the same freedom to choose that you had before you were in the pit. And you're going to make a choice. You're going you're gonna to choose to be angry, and you're going to choose to be resentful, or you're going to choose to be bitter, and you're going to choose, I'm going to get even if it's the last thing I do, or you're going to choose to believe God, to lean into God, to trust God, to know that God has something better in store for you. You're going to choose something. It's the greatest gift God's given to you, the freedom to choose, but with it comes a Huge responsibility. I encourage you to choose like Joseph. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Three positive choices when you find yourself in the pit. Choose to stand up and not get down. You choose to stand up and not get down. I've I've been in pits before, and I know what it's like to want to be in a fetal position. I mean, seriously. I have laid in bed... Almost sucking, my thumb, almost sucking my thumb, but in a fetal position and saying, I don't want to get out of bed. But I had to stand up. And you keep standing up. So you can choose to get down, or you can choose to, to, to stand up. Psalm, uh, Psalm 99, the Lord is a refuge to, for the oppressed. He's a stronghold in times of trouble. Here's, here's, let me, here's, uh, here's another choice. Choose to give grace and not get even. Just make that choice right now. If you're bent on getting even with the person that kicked you into the pit, you're going to have a rough life ahead of you. But if you choose to give grace, as crazy as it sounds, I mean, that's just the way God works. It's just in his economy. If you choose to give grace, I think what's going to happen is God's going to give you more grace. That's what I think is going to happen. And then choose to praise God and not blame God. Choose to praise him and not blame. Here's number three. God is in final control of the outcome. God's in final control of the outcome. It doesn't matter if you're in a pit or not. God's still in charge, and he's still in charge of the outcome. That's why we trust him, and we know that all things work together for those who love God. I love this story of Joseph because everything about Joseph points us to Jesus. Stop and think about it. Joseph was the apple of his father's eye. So was Jesus. The father sent Joseph to his brothers. God sent Jesus to his brothers us they ripped the robe off of him they did the same thing to Jesus those closest to him betrayed him so did they the same thing to Jesus and on through the story you see it happening Joseph was tempted so was Jesus Joseph didn't give in, neither did Jesus Joseph was assigned a place among uh, prisoners one was saved, one was lost so was Jesus Jesus forgave those who offended, just like Joseph did. Joseph's story, his suffering was used to save many, many people. So was Jesus. Everything about Joseph points us to Jesus. And so when we talk about, let's let's learn from Joseph, what we're really saying is, let's be more like Jesus. Jesus. He's a great example, Joseph is, about what Jesus was all about. As we close out today, I'm going to ask if you'd bow your head. And if you've not surrendered your life to Jesus, to allow him to be the Lord of your life, to be the one who governs your life, to be the one who guides your life, to be be the one who empowers you to do these things that Joseph teaches us and that we see in Jesus, or if you need his help today in a fresh new way, I'm going to ask if you would pray after me this prayer. And for those of you who've made the decision to follow Jesus, if you'd also pray. Father in heaven, today I thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for loving me and dying for me and paying for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. And I ask you to be my Savior and Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.